It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Anna Fabrega, Chief Executive Officer for Freshly, the leading prepared meal delivery subscription service providing nutritionist-approved, balanced meals that are delivered fresh to your door and ready to eat in three minutes. Anna is a growth-oriented leader with over 20 years of business, operations, and organizational leadership experience at high-growth, early-stage businesses, as well as large-scaled organizations. Her experience spans across brand marketing, distribution and supply chain, e-commerce, physical retail, technology, and CPG, including positions of increasing responsibility at Microsoft and Amazon prior to joining Freshly in 2021. During her career, she has built a reputation for operational excellence, innovative strategic thinking, leading leaders, working with the highest level of integrity, and a deep and passionate commitment to putting the customer first. Upon completing her undergraduate studies at the University of Florida in 1999, Anna started her career at McMaster Car, managing various distribution operations at a 300,000-square-foot facility carrying over 500,000 products. She then earned an MBA in 2004 from Kellogg School of Management. Anna is a big thinker that balances scrappiness with operational and financial rigor, She has a high degree of curiosity and is well known for her ability to ask the right questions, look around corners, and to be clear and concise with her direction and advisement. She is based out of New York City and was named Inc. Magazine's Top 50 Female Tech Leaders to Watch in 2021. Anna Fabrica, welcome into the corner office. Thank you so much for happening to me. Good good to have you here. Yeah, we're here on a kind of a rainy northeastern day. Did you get a little rain down in in Manhattan this morning? We had had a little bit in Connecticut. It looks like it's starting to break up a little bit. How's the weather down where you are? Uh, looking good right now, but definitely some, <laughs> some rain on the way in this morning. Rain on the way in. I think it's probably heading down your way. Well, the good news is there's clear clouds, uh, clear skies behind it. But uh, at any rate, uh, wonderful to have a chance to chat with you. We spoke a, a few weeks back, and we like to kind of kick off the podcast with understanding a little bit of your early beginnings. And maybe you can just tell us a little bit about what your early family life was like, what mom and dad did, brothers and sisters and such. Yeah, happy to. Um, so I was, I'm originally from Panama. Mm. Um, I was, I was born in Panama. My dad is, is Panamanian. And so mm. his side of the family still all live down there. Wow. Um, raised so in a, bilingual. In a bi- bilingual. Yep. Raised in a bilingual yeah. home. Yep. Yeah. 
Um, we moved back to the States, um, when I was about four years old and then, um, my parents got divorced and my dad moved back to Panama. And so I actually grew up, um, you know, kind of halfway between the States and Panama. I would, I would go to school here, uh, and then I would spend summers, um, over there. Yep. And then, um, so I had, I had four siblings growing up in the U S, uh, halves and steps. I had four siblings Growing up in Panama, have some oh steps. <laughs> so, so I'm Big used family. to a lot of chaos. Yeah, yeah, I'm used to a lot of chaos. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, so I would say my um, my my mom's side of the family. You know, my my grandfather. He was a he was a GE executive oh. um, for a long oh. time, and when he retired, he got into the stock market and um, did did very very well for himself, but. Um, he kind of got me interested in in the business world, and right. um, you know we were a very kind of achievement oriented family. I was, right. I have very much the oldest child syndrome, and so you know I ah. always always made straight A's. Um, you sure. know was always top of my class, um, and you know probably start by by age twelve I was reading the Wall Street Journal. My grandfather <laughs> would send me his copies, oh and so it was just. <laughs> It was never a question that, that I would go into, into business. business in some way, yeah. shape, or form. Yep, that's yeah. right. That's awesome. And and what about mom now? Did she work when she came back to the U.S.? Or was she focusing on bringing you and, you know, your other siblings and half-siblings up? Yeah, mom Mom actually uh, ended up, she, she was a theology major in undergrad, of all things, oh. and but ended up going back and getting a master's in special education. Um, mm-hmm. And so worked in special education, you know, until until she retired. Um, right. My dad was an executive um, with the with the brew with the local brewery down in Panama that okay. has been you know Saab Miller or Anheuser Busch depending on you know the year um, it tends yeah, to change yeah. ownership quite a bit so sure. um, so yeah so you know they there wasn't a lot of pressure on me from my parents it was mostly you know self instilled. Uh, you know, I, I, Wall Street I, Journal I at twelve. To, I can imagine. That's right. Did, that's right. Did you did you begin to buy stocks? And was your grandparents or, or your grandfather? Yeah, your yeah, yeah, yeah. I portfolio? would. Yep, yep, yep. We did. Um, so that so that was fun. Um, and yeah. you know, I, I only only recently that I stopped managing my own portfolio because I just you know didn't didn't really have the time to dedicate to it as as much. Right. But right. Um, so yeah, I was I was I was pretty pretty aware of the market and involved. And, um, you know, when I graduated from, from high school, um, I was, um, I received a, a national merit scholarship. Oh, um, I received awesome. a national Hispanic scholarship, nice. um, national merit Hispanic scholarship, and then, um, a Florida bright future scholarship. Wow. So I effectively had, you know, a completely full ride if I chose nice. to go to a state school in Florida. Um, yeah, and yeah. I knew that I was going to end up getting an MBA. That was a given. And so I decided I'm going to go and do my undergrad debt free. Um, yeah. And I'll go to like the brand name school for my MBA. Um, yeah, and so yeah. so I went to the University of Florida. Um, yeah. were, were you, course, was mom living in Florida at the time? Is that where she reached? Ma- yeah, 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 we right. yep, yeah, we were in um, we were in Pensacola. So it Pensacola. wasn't it wasn't wasn't too far away. Yep. Yeah. Oh, panhandle. Lovely out there. Yeah. As a kid, uh, you know, other than your stock market investments, any other entrepreneurial things that you did? Uh, was there other stuff that uh, you did for spending money? <laughs> Love to hear about. Occasionally, that. occasionally I tried. Um, <laughs> I, I would, I would get my parents to buy me boxes of candy at uh, Sam's Club. 
oh, I yeah. would take it to school and I would sell it to the other kids. Love it. Uh, Love and it. Until the school administration was like, "You're you, you can't do this. You're not allowed to do this." So, no, I got locker, shut down. Locker, but... locker, locker room retail, or what's it called? That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. So, but but I, I I tried. I tried. Yeah. Oh, fun. I love it. What about sports? Were you involved in anything extracurricularly that kept you busy, or you know, any clubs that you excelled in? Yeah. So I was, I was a very sedentary uh, child, and when I got to high school, I decided that, and I was, I was. I would say somewhat socially awkward and, and a, a bit shy. Uh, so when I got to high school, I decided, you know, I'm going to go uh, be on a sports team because, yeah. you know, that'll, that'll, that's like ready-made friends. Sure. Uh, so I started running cross country uh, when I got oh. to high school and then uh, I did track and then I had played tennis um, for many years. And so I joined the tennis team. And then, and then uh, we started a girl soccer team and they were nice. like, Hey, you cross country runners, you guys can run across the field back and forth for an hour. Can you jo please join the soccer team? So, so I did those four uh, throughout high school. Um, and then, you know, again, like in preparation for, you know, college and, and, you know, having a great kind of uh, transcript, I also was in Spanish club. I did student nice. council. I did yeah. uh, my, my, I did I did math league, so I would do math competitions, which I loved because I'm a nerd. And my <laughs> my very favorite was uh, law club, and law club uh, was a mock trial competition. Kind of debate, and, yeah, mock trial. Yeah, 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 and and I loved it because you really had to think on your feet. Uh, we would do these, you know, we would prepare closing arguments and you would kind of know what you were going to say, but you had to sit there and listen to the other side, what they were saying, right. and then very, right. very quickly come up with your narrative and your, yeah. and your closing argument. And so um, it was really fun. Uh, I, I, for a brief second, considered becoming a lawyer until yeah. my, my uncles, who were both lawyers, were like, you're not actually going to have the opportunity to litigate that much. Um, <laughs> true. Unless you go be a defense attorney and then you're going to defend some terrible people or you can right, go be a prosecutor right. and it's a pretty thankless job and you'll make no money. Yeah, <laughs> so I right, was like, all right, right, I'll stick with business. Turn away from that. Yeah. So University of Florida, uh, full ride with all your scholarships. Congrats on that. You, you know, you're a real low, low achiever, and I'm sure you've been told uh -huh, that a lot over uh -huh. the years. <laughs> no pressure on myself at <laughs> no all. No pressure at all. And uh, work a little bit then before you went to Northwestern to get your MBA? Or what did you do in yeah. between those couple of years? Yeah. So it's funny, uh, you know, my, I think my one college regret is I had a, I had a full ride, right? And I was so eager to get out into the working world that I effectively graduated in three years. Yeah. Uh, I finished all, this, all my school. My last semester of school, I did study abroad in France. Uh, nice. I had been studying French for a while, and so I was able to gain fluency there. But I missed the recruiting season. So, you know, I didn't get the benefit of all of the support that, you know, the, you that the college provides. Right. So forth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I ended up coming home after being in France and, you know, did, did what you do, started, you know, writing. And this was, you know, not everybody was even had email back then. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I started writing cover letters and, and sending, you know, resumes out. You know, there's not much to put on a resume at that point other than my grades. Sure. Right. And I wasn't getting any bites. And I finally mm. said, okay, 
I, I can't, I, I have to have a job. Like this is not how my illustrious career starts. <laughs> right, so right. I decided to, to get in the car and drive up to the nearest big city, which was Atlanta. Right. And I checked into an extended stay motel, a really, really shitty one because I was trying to save money. <laughs> and I said, I am not leaving here until I have a job. Good for you. So, wow. and you and you wanted to live in Atlanta. I mean, or it just made the most sense. Sure, it just made the most city. sense. You know, yeah, I yeah, other yeah. cities felt scarier, so right, I right. opened up the phone book as one did back then. <laughs> it's only twenty I years ago, up. listeners. So it wasn't that long ago <laughs> before the internet didn't exist, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I opened up the phone book and was going to just start calling every single headhunter, and the first sure. one on the list was AAA. Of course. And I called them up and I said, hey, you know, I just graduated with highest honors, blah, blah, blah. And they said, we have two options for you. One of them is an enterprise rent-a-car management training program. The other is this tool company. Mm. Uh, They only hire from the top 10 colleges and universities. University of Florida is not a top 10, but maybe they'll give you a marketing job. Mm. So I said, okay, give me the tool company. Let me go interview with them. Yeah. I went and I interviewed with them and they offered me a spot in their management training program. Perfect. So that was my first job. Was and that was the first uh, recruiter you called. So yes, and that was the first yeah. recruiter I called. <laughs> and you know, Enterprise, by the way, great company. You know, we do yes. a lot of recruiting. Yes, wonderful training and debt. So just just in- interestingly about the decision between the two. Wh- why not talk to both? Um, I Did you kind of decide wanted, that cool companies more interesting. I thought it was more interesting, yeah. and honestly, I was intrigued by the fact that they said that I probably wouldn't get the job. Mm. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, God. It was, it was a challenge. There we go. Yeah. yeah, I yeah get it. it was I a get challenge. It. Okay. Well, step up to that one. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So so I, my first job, you know, I because I graduated early, I literally had just turned 21. Yeah. And uh, my first job was uh, supervising the packing and shipping department. I had 18 employees. Wow. They gave um, you management responsibility out the door. Yes. And I was terrified. <laughs> Terrified. He's probably I mean, probably are 10, 15, 20 years older than you, I imagine. Right. Like, mo- like these mostly are like men. Right. Yes, they're real grown-ups, yeah. and I'm not. Yeah. And and I have to I have to manage these guys. And it was a it was an unair con- not air conditioned warehouse oh, in Atlanta. So it was in a the billion summer. degrees yeah. in the summer. Oh, gosh. And the the operation was chaos. You know, conveyor belts would go down and I'd be running around with, with my walkie drenched in sweat, you know, <laughs> trying to get the packages out the door. More often than not, I was ending up at night driving to the FedEx hub because, you know, packages got left. Like of it was course. just yeah. it was a mess. But I also, you know, was supervising these people. And I was like, how do I gain credibility with these guys? And so I, I just started listening and I, I would mm. listen to them. I would ask them their mm. ideas. I would ask them what they thought we should do about problems. Wow. So not, wow. not trying to be a commander, but rather really trying to, to leverage their knowledge and leverage their experience. Now, did that come, did that come naturally to you? I mean, cause you know, again, you're a high achiever. You obviously were, you know, I'm sure very vocal in your classes and standing up and getting things done. Listening, you know, as a 20 year old doesn't necessarily come as a natural state. Right. And, and is it just something that, you know, occurred to you at the time or had you seen it modeled in others or had you always kind of been that way where, you know, you listened and learned? You know, I, 
I think I've always had a deep amount of intellectual curiosity. And for me, it was just the logical, like I needed to figure out how to do this job. Asking questions. And and so the logical way to figure out how to do the job is to ask a lot of questions uh, and to gain better understanding. And so, you know, while I was there and I, I was really proud of this, one of the reasons that, you know, the operation was so chaotic was because you know, orders, we would, orders would get filled and there would be multiple, you know, lines in an order and they would all kind of come together at the end of the line. And then a a person would have to put it, put the order together and and different parts of the order were coming from different parts of the warehouse. And so there, there were these assembly stations and these assembly stations, they, they were number one, they, they were not ergonomic in any way, shape or form. And number two, it wasn't an Amazon pick and pack, right? No, no, they were, yeah. So they were so tightly put together. They were literally standing butt to butt in these areas. And so it was just, there was no way to get any kind of real, real throughput. So yeah. I, one of my jobs was to go redesign the layout. Um, again, like why that was one of my jobs, I have no idea because I had no idea how to design a, a, a warehouse assembly area. But so I would, I would stand up on the floor with people and I would ask them and I would watch them working. And so we figured mm. out like, Hey, we got to, we have to mount the tape machine and we should mount it at, you know, arm height. And, you know, it's easier to, to pull a box from the top than it is to bend over and get a box from the ground. And so we right. managed to design these, these stations that, you know, once we rolled them out, it was, it was like night and day, all of a sudden, you know, I remember coming out on the floor and being like, what, what happened to all the orders? And they're like, oh no, we're, we're actually caught up. Like we're good. And I I just had never seen that before. So, and it wasn't like, it wasn't because I was brilliant. It was because I, I just, I, I implemented their ideas. Yeah. They had good ideas and, and probably no one had even asked before, right. In terms of how to make their work even better. Wow. That's awesome. Cool. So you spent a couple of years there and then we won't cover all your, your uh, assignments, but you did time with both Amazon and Microsoft. So, you know, did you set your sights on working for those big companies uh, in terms of getting the kind of experience you needed to, you know, become what you are today? Or did it just kind of a naturally evolve to, to work for, you know, two of the biggest and most successful companies in, in the country, if not the world? It it kind of evolved. So I had yeah. been down in I had been down in Corpus Christi and really enjoying my job working for a convenience store company and had, you know, thought that I would always stay in operations and then ended up yeah. getting tagged to do marketing work. And and that was great. And uh, I I got to a point where I realized that I was a big fish in a small pond and yeah. I was never going to be able to move to, you know, the, the large pond, I guess, if I didn't go work for a big name brand company. Mm. So mm. Um, I had contacts that that were connected to Microsoft. And um, so I ended up going and interviewing with them. And I remember my first role in Microsoft was, was mar- doing marketing for um, server and tool security products. Uh-huh. And I remember in the interview, you know, when they offered me the job, it was like, are you sure? Because I sell beer and cigarettes and you sell server <laughs> security products. And they were like, no, no, no. Yeah, we, we want to hire you. Um, so so it, to me, and it was actually a, a step back from the title perspective and right. it was a pay cut. Right. So I was moving to a way more wow. expensive city and taking a pay cut, but it was an investment in my own development. And so I I felt strongly that I needed to go and, and spend time there and learn how big companies operate. 
and I did Microsoft for three years and, yeah. and I was much more of a kind of a consultant, I, I would say I was, I, yeah. I kind of had moved over to the global brand strategy team and decided, Hey, like I really miss operating. And that's what kind of led me to go, go over to Amazon. Was, was the identity and security area new for them at that time or that existed? Cause that was back in what, 2009, 2008. Uh, yeah, around 2008, um, it yeah. had existed. It was it was there. Right. It was forefront was the brand back. But yeah. remember, back then, every all of these products were on premise. And, and you know, right. part of yeah. what I did yeah. was was help figure out how to migrate those brands to the cloud, because that was Got right it. when Azure was launching. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So so from there to Amazon, were you recruited over or tell us about that path? You know, it's funny. Uh, I I had just had a baby. And I was in this like parent support group where, mm. you know, we would all get together and basically complain about our babies. And <laughs> one of the other moms in my group worked at Amazon and I was talking to her and she said, hey, you should really, uh, you should interview for this job. There's a job. You should come over to Amazon. And she connected me uh, to the hiring manager. And I, I ended up interviewing for this job. Um, they decided to hire an internal person for that job, but they said, you know, we want you at Amazon. So that's how I ended up, you know, I started out interviewing for one role and ended up taking a very, very different role. Um, well, you went into the sporting, sporting area with them. That's right. right. Was, yeah. So I ended that, up was going that a new, sports. Yeah. Was that a new area for them at the time or had they been, you know, engaged in that for a while? They had, they had been engaged in it for a while, but it was still pretty nascent. They didn't yeah. have the top three at that point. They didn't have Under Armour. They didn't have Adidas. They didn't have Nike. Right. Uh, right. But right. but it was still, you know, early days where, you know, year over year growth in the 60% range, 60 to 70% range was like typical without really having to do much. Right. Right. Cool. And and what was it there? Gosh, you spent almost a decade at Amazon, which, you know, did. It, 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 with large companies, you know, it's kind of, you kind of fall into two categories, people that spend kind of two or three years and go, I've had it, I've had enough, you know, I'll move on. And others that, you know, kind of just stay on and think that their career, you know, will continue to develop there. Were you kind of at that stage where you thought that would be the last place you work? Or did you kind of always keep, you know, your eyes open for something else that would come along? Um, I thought that would be the last place I would work. I, yeah, I joined yeah. and, you know, it's a, Amazon is a very special culture and, yes. you know, they're very, very anchored around the leadership principles. And for me, the leadership principles were like the core of my being. Like they just right. aligned so well to, you know, who I was. Can I, you share those with us? What, what were some of those principles that, that you felt very aligned to? Yeah. Um, you know, bias for action, um, yeah. disagreeing, commit. Um, I'm very good at disagreeing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> dive, dive deep, learn and be yeah. curious. I mean, they just really resonated with me. So, wow. and, and what's funny is, you know, what you described about, you know, people hopping every couple of years within Amazon, you know, you, there's so many opportunities because it's sure. such a large organization that for right. the most part, people do change jobs every couple of years. And yep. Yep. You know, fungibility is so important there that you can go to a very, very different industry role function um, fairly easily. So right. I, 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 I was in on the sports side for for three and a half years, and then yeah. I got invited to interview. I actually had an offer to go run a different business that would have given me a very clear path to promotion and great. And I got I got invited to interview for something else, and they wouldn't tell me what it was. And um, they wouldn't tell me what it was even throughout the interview process. Internally? Uh, yeah, really? internally. It was wow. that secret. 
And all they told me was that I would be the first business hire. They had a team of, you know, product managers and engineers and that I would need to go and basically figure out this business, but they wouldn't tell me what the business was. So kind of like like a a business unit head. Is that what that means? Right. Yeah. And I I just, I, but what happened was I, I interviewed with all of these, these tremendous people and I left the interview and I thought, God, I'm going to learn so much by being in the same room with those people. I have, I have to take this job, even though I have no clue what it is. Uh, And, and, and that's how I ended up um, on the Amazon go team. And I ended up staying on that team for six and a half years, which is, you know, Amazon, it's like dog years, you know, no one stays for that long. Um, (laughs) But it was such a great experience for me. And I, I just, I, I learned so much about, you know, building and how to think about trade-offs and, you know, how to, how to operate, uh, you know, and scale something that is completely, completely different and new. Right. Right. And then that ultimately led to the Amazon kitchen business, right? Is that how you kind of transitioned uh, with them or what was go was Amazon kitchen added to go? Is that how that, uh, it was added to go. Yeah. So I was, I was, I was running go, um, end to end with the exception of, of tech. And was then asked to take on Amazon Kitchen as well. Yeah. And Amazon Kitchen, you know, I think part of it was Amazon Kitchen was was really one of our primary offerings within the Amazon Go stores. But right. they were also supplying um, the Amazon Fresh business and the Amazon Fresh stores. So okay. it, it just kind of made sense. So so yeah. I, I ran yeah. those two organizations, and they were they were pretty separate. Yeah. Yeah, got it. And uh, obviously today, as CEO of Freshly, sounds like there might have been a little bit of, uh, you know, common experiences there that uh, attracted you. Tell us <laughs> tell us about how that worked in terms of leaving. Must have been hard after being a it, decade there. It, it was hard. It was. Yeah. Um, but I, I wanted to, I, I was starting to feel the itch to go see if I could be successful outside of Amazon. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. And and so when I got contacted about Freshly, uh, I was intrigued one because I I really enjoy working in the food industry. Right. Two, right. It, it was it it was it was a succession plan for the CEO. So you know he planned on staying around for and the founder he planned on staying around for maybe a couple more years. And so yeah, because you so actually came I, in as kind of a chief sales or chief commercialization officer, right? Wasn't that that's right? Title? That's so, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, with the Nestle acquisition, you know, Nestle was was really ready to to invest capital to to grow the business, and so we had these very very huge kind of growth plans. And so I thought this is going to be really fun. Like we're going to yeah. you know triple the size of this business over the next few years, and and right. you know I want to be a part of that. And they were all going through this transition from being really really scrappy startup to truly operating a scaled business. And so I, I, I liked the challenge of that yeah. as well. So, so when you joined, did you know, was, was the Nestle opportunity already in the works or was that something that was shared with you or at least? Yes. Yeah. So you knew that. was Yes. Yeah. yeah. It had been in the works while I was uh, interviewing and I, I joined a couple months after the acquisition yeah. was complete. Got it. Cool. So tell us about Freshly. Let's just take a step back in, in the business model and, you know, its size and, and current footprint. Yeah. So so Freshly is a fresh prepared meal subscription service. Hmm. Um, we, 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 our meal philosophy is, you know, less sugar, less processed, more nutrients. Hmm. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, individual single serve meals. They can be heated in a microwave. Um, the, the food is actually really, really good. And I, mm. you know, don't just say that because I'm running the company, but also <laughs> because it's, I, I truly believe that. But but it's it's really about accessible health and convenient mm. health. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so it doesn't, you know, from, from my perspective, health doesn't have to be eating a bucket of kale. Health doesn't have right. to be zero carbs. It's, it can be, you know, a, a whole food. It can be high quality protein with vegetables and, you know, grains. And, and so, you know, and, and we add things to it. So there's, you know, hidden vegetables in the meatballs and we use almond mm. flour with our chicken parm instead of refined breadcrumbs. Um, so there's like these sneaky, sneaky little swaps that we'll do. <laughs> um, Love it. Love it. Yeah. So, so it's great. We, we serve the entire, you know, 48 states. We have uh, six different facilities right now. Um, and mm. and it's, it's been really, really interesting kind of um, – shifting to shifting the culture of the organization, which is necessary for scale, I believe, sure. to less of a tops down approach and far more of a empower the workforce to, mm. to make great decisions, you know, yeah. see something, say something and really, really cross those lines of ownership and, and instead of being functionally siloed. Um, with a strong, strong focus on customer. And so Mm. all of the innovation that we're driving, all of the things that we're doing are really about, okay, how can we make the customer experience better? How can we better meet their needs? And so, for example, last year, at the end of last year, we we realized that, you know, it's not very convenient to to have to set an order and have to get the same number of meals every single week because every week looks different. And sure. so we built functionality into, into the system to, to make it super, super easy for people to flex up and flex down on a week-to-week basis. We make it yeah. super easy for people to skip if they don't want you know, their order that week. And then we continue to add just a ton of variety because we, we don't want people to get menu fatigue. And so we're sure. constantly innovating and rolling out new, new dishes and, and new kind of products. What percentage of your of your customers actually source all their meals from you? Is there is there folks that do that? I, you know, there. I think there are. I don't. I don't yeah. know the, the percentage, but we definitely. Yeah. You know, our, our largest box size right now is twelve meals, um, yeah. and we also have people who have multiple subscriptions in one household. <laughs> so <laughs> love it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I personally, you know, when I was at Amazon, I, I kind of was always busy and I, I would take a can of soup with me every single day for lunch because I didn't have right. to think about it. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, soup is great, but it's not super healthy. It's super high sodium, whatever, super sure. processed. Uh, and now, you know, that's my lunch and dinner is freshly every single yeah. day. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's been it's been great and I feel much better having, you know, having healthier meals that I don't have to go and prepare myself. Are they typically microwavable or do you have the option yes. of both stove as well as microwaves or is it? You could, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's two and a half to three minutes on the microwave. Yeah. And so it, it, it's, it's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Yep. How many employees today? Um, we have about 1200 employees. Yeah. Wow. And, and growing quick. Now you joined actually as the pandemic was underway. And uh, how has that treated the company? I mean, there's been so much said about, you know, home delivery and how those, you know, uh, companies have thrived, et cetera. Um, you know, was the pandemic good to you or, or did it probably had, it was a mix, bit of a mixed bag, I bet. 
The no, the pandemic was great. Uh, the pandemic, uh, not great, but it was good no, for business. Yeah, good for business. Um, right. Yeah, right. The, the pandemic was good for business. It's interesting, you know. Everybody had to adapt to kind of this remote work from home environment. You right. know, we've taken right. that from a from a company perspective and said. Um, let's, let's be perm remote, let's be flexible, you know, mm. unless you're working in a facility, go ahead and, and work from wherever you need. We also yeah. have unlimited PTO. And so nice. I, I'm also, you know, if you need to take time to go take care of something, please do that. Mm. Uh, but when you're here, you're here. So, yeah. um, yeah. you know, we've tried to be really, really flexible and, and, and really consider kind of, you know, our employees and, and, and people first, um, yeah. from a cultural awesome. perspective. Awesome. And does Nestle give you pretty much autonomy in terms of, you know, the running the day to day? How has that integration gone the last couple of years? It's, it's great. They, Nestle has basically said, tell us where you need help and we yeah. will help you. And yeah. if you don't want us to, to help you, then we're going to stay out of your way. Um, right. So we're completely, you know, we're, we don't have any integration with systems or anything like that. We're completely you know, we operate as standalone right now, but but we certainly do work really hard to make sure that we're super transparent on things like performance of the business or where we're investing capital or things like that. Yeah. Now, you spoke earlier about, you know, your first job and how important listening was, right, and asking a lot of questions and how that helped you make so much significant differences. I, I'm sure that's a skill set that you still use today, um, you know, certainly one that uh, I certainly learned over time also being a curious person, but tell us a little bit more about maybe how your leadership has, has evolved now that you're sitting in the corner office. Yeah. You know, I, early in my career, it was, I, I spent a lot of time listening and, but there was also an element to, you know, to being successful that was just based on being a high achiever and being good at my job. And, um, you know, over time, I think, you know, as you, as you add functions that you're running, um, you know, as you're managing larger organizations, it's, it, it, it changes to be really more about developing the people who work for you. Um, and because I'm, I'm never going to be better than my head of manufacturing at manufacturing. Right. Right. Uh, so, so part of my job now is really to remove barriers, to get, to get out of their way and to make sure that they're not being blocked, um, to be a sounding board, to provide guidance and, and to make sure, but to make sure that I have really strong audit mechanisms so that I know when I need to dive in and get right. super into the weeds. So, right. So, right. so my job is about, you know, really making sure that the organization understands how to think about problems, um, right. how to come up with recommendations. I have kind of a standard, you know, anyone who's worked with me uh, for a while knows kind of the standard questions that I ask because I'm always mm. trying to look around corners. I'm always trying to make sure that we've considered all options. And if we're right. aligned on how we think about making decisions, then chances are we're going to be aligned on the recommendation that's being made. So, yeah. so yeah. that's really, my job is so much more about people now than it ever has been in the past. And honestly, sometimes I miss getting into the weeds of, right, you know, right. coming up with the solution stuff. to the problem. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. but that's, that, that's not this job. I have to let, I have right. to let my team do that. Right. How do you monitor that? You know, do you have a dashboard? Is there weekly meetings? You know, how do you kind of, you know, be able to indicate where, or, or be able to get an early notice on, you know, there might be a problem somewhere where you need to zoom in and spend a little more time. At. Yeah. You know, I, I, I credit Amazon with kind of teaching me how to be really, really good about, about diving deep and auditing. 
I have, um, we have a, we kind of have a, what I'll call rhythm of the business list. And so it really will, will depend if it's, um, you know, I do a weekly business review where I'm looking at both input and output metrics. Um, and I'm, and I'm comparing to goal and I'm comparing to trend. And the way that I know when I need to dive in is because if I ask a question and the owner of that metric doesn't know the answer, um, or the owner of that metric isn't giving me a sufficient answer, then, you know, it's, it's, I start deeper and deeper and deeper. That's right. That's right. 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 Um, But for, for other things, it might be different for, for a a big strategic, you know, uh, product launch, we might do readiness meetings. We might do program reviews um, where there's a document that's written articulating, you know, all of the things that we need to consider. And so, so depending on what, what, you know, the work stream is, uh, we have different mechanisms that we use, and that gives me the opportunity to audit. It also gives me the opportunity to, to ask questions, um, right. and it, it gives the team the the opportunity to kind of um, ask questions of each other, which I think is so, so, so important. Yeah, super important. What, what would you say is kind of most unique or unusual about the Freshly culture? I, I would say we are, because, because we're all remote, um, it's, it's sometimes really, really hard to kind of maintain that sense of, of community and camaraderie. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um, so we, we actually just yesterday, I've been in the office today and yesterday, yesterday we had a, a whole bunch of people here and it was fascinating. Like it's, it's like, it's, it's like we never went remote. Um, <laughs> right, the team right. just, the team just works so well together and jives so well together. Um, and, and that's, that's great because, you know, the, the evolution of a culture can be very jarring for people. And, sure. and I've, I've been really proud of the organization for how well they've been, they've embraced kind of the, the changes that we've made. Right. Right. What, what do you think is missing without, you know, kind of having that daily contact or, or is there anything missing, you know, without everyone being in the, in the office every day? You know, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the humanization of the people that yeah. you work with, you know, right. um, right. I've had this conversation. The water cooler discussions, as we used yeah, to say. Yeah, <laughs> that and, you know, I I, I welcome, I, I like a culture where people can be be open and direct and we can have healthy debate. And right. sometimes right. sometimes healthy debate, you know, you, you leave the conversation not feeling great. Um, and I think the, the, the challenge with being remote is that in an in-person environment, after you have that healthy debate, you can chit chat in the hallway, you can go grab a yeah. beer. Right. Uh, and yeah, and yeah. that's an a little bit harder to, to do. Yeah, yeah. Right. harder yeah. to do remotely because you hang up the phone and then you're just kind of stewing. So yeah. so I think that's one of the things that we try to we try to encourage is, you know, a lot of just p- more personal connection with people. Yeah. And, yeah. and Slack has been a great tool as well to help with kind of just the the, the, the chit chat or the one off random like drive bys that, that you don't have when you're not in person. Yeah. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire at Freshly Anna? Um, I, I, I look for, for three primary things. I, mm. I look for high judgment. Mm. Uh, so I'm trying to assess because, because the reality is you're never going to have perfect information to make decisions. And so right. uh, I, I'm, I'm looking for people who, who can make decisions and generally be right about those decisions, even in the face of incomplete information. Uh, the second is is intellectual curiosity. 
Mm. I, I, I want people who are asking why five times, uh, because that's, because if you only ask it one time, you're probably not going deep enough and you're probably not going to really get to the root cause. So, right. so intellectual That curiosity. sounds like an Amazon skill, right? It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Finally tuned uh, and owned. That's there. right. That's right. <laughs> So, so I, so I look for, I look for deep intellectual curiosity. I look for, um, uh, but I also am looking for people who can look around corners and who can be kind kind of always thinking one step ahead. And anytime you bring someone on board, it's, it's rare that they've done every single thing that that job is going to entail in the past. So it's really about, can this person learn? Can this person figure it out? Uh, that's that to me is the most important thing when hiring someone. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, you have a favorite interview question you ask? Yeah. <laughs> when I was at Amazon, I don't ask this question anymore. When I was at Amazon and before you know marijuana started to become legalized in certain states, right, I yeah. would I including would ask, Washington, yeah. including Washington. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I would yeah. I would ask candidates. Um, I would say, you know, Amazon wants to get into the the cannabis business. And uh, tell me all the questions that we need to go um, ask and answer in order to be able to launch this business. Mm, wow. Very And good. I'm really get, just, yeah, like, I'm really just trying to get a feel for, you know, how, how do they think, think about, about the different facets of yeah. the problem? Do they, do they think yeah. about the customer experience, about the operational experience, sure. you know, how, how, how well can they think through it? And it's funny, right. I often right. would get better answers from, from undergrads just graduating that I would get from very, right. very well experienced people. But so yeah. that, that used to be my favorite question. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Anna, we're just about out of time, but we always ask one last question of our CEO guests. And that's kind of what career and life advice would you give someone who maybe is, you know, a couple of decades back in their career than you and taking a look at the corner office themselves? Yeah, I, I would say a couple of things. One is, uh, your, your path doesn't have to be linear. In fact, it probably won't be linear and that's okay. Right. That's actually great. Um, my, my path has certainly not been linear. The, right. the second is, especially if you're, you're a high achiever, failure will not break you. It, right. It's okay. It's a really okay to mess up. It's really okay to fail. There's always learnings on the other side of it. Well, and yeah, so, to the contrary, it's probably a good thing to happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, so be, be okay yeah. with that. Um, yeah, be yeah. okay with that and don't beat yourself up. Yeah. Awesome. Well, listen, Ana Fabrica, CEO of Freshly, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roy.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.